Welcome. Welcome to Woodland this morning. Welcome to worship with us, and it's going to be a good day. As a matter of fact, I walked outside of my house today. I had on a short sleeve shirt, and I can't believe springtime has finally come to Michigan. But I came in, and I told the staff this morning, I said, spring is here. And they said, don't count on it yet. So you know how it goes up here. Well, today I'm going to ask you to be in prayer with me. After the service today, there will be an online uh, funeral service from Molnar's for Augustine Domingo. That's the father of two of our families here at the church, and we'll be doing his funeral, live streaming his funeral, so if you can join with us there. And then this is also a happy day for us. Our son was promoted to a captain in the United States Army this week, and so we just want to give a big shout out to him and to his family. And at four o'clock this afternoon, his wife is going to pin his his uh, railroad tracks on him, as he calls it, and we're going to celebrate together as a family. So we're very grateful and we're very thankful. And for those of you that are asking about Josiah, I was talking with Andrew this morning, and he said Josiah is really doing well. So thank you for praying. Continue to pray with us for a miracle of healing in his life. Well, during this COVID-19 crisis, each week I've tried to bring a message to you about how we can respond during the crisis. And we've talked about prayer, we've talked about our neighbors, we've talked about our peace. But this morning, I want to talk to you about something that I just really feel is an important message for this hour that we're living in. It's always important for us, but it's about loving God. A few years ago, I had the privilege of hearing Beth Moore. She was speaking to the pastors at our general council. I had never heard Beth before, nor read any of her books, but after hearing her message that day, I was challenged and just grateful for her life. But Beth said, you cannot be free to return the love of God unless you first accept it. You can't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength unless you believe God loves you. And friend, I hope you're fully persuaded this morning. I hope it's a truth that's really deep in your heart that you know that God is a loving God, and that you're persuaded that He loves you. And I have to be honest with you, as a, as a young person, I, I really didn't think in terms of God being a loving God and loving me. It was more that I could never please God. But the more that I've read the Bible, the more that I've studied it over the years, if there's anything I'm fully persuaded of from Genesis to Revelation, it's how great and how wonderful our loving God is. Look with me this morning, if you would, at the book of Psalms, chapter 86 and verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a merciful and loving God, always patient, always kind, and faithful. Let's read that together. If you've got your family with you this morning, ask your children, because I think it's up on the screen, so ask your children to just read it with us. But you, O Lord, are a merciful and loving God, always patient, always kind, and faithful. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that we know that, God, you love us. You love us whether we believe in you or don't believe in you. We, you love us whether we're serving you and on our way to heaven or whether we have rejected your love and, Lord, chosen a path without you. You, Lord, love this world. It's why you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. And I thank you for just again this week washing my mind, washing my soul, Lord, washing me with the absolute joy of knowing that God loves us, that you care about us. And I pray in the next few minutes that, Lord, you'll help us to grasp what it means for us to love you as well. And everybody said, amen. When I know that God loves me, and when I can see that God loves me, then it changes my perspective from a God that is wrathful and vindictive. God is not vindictive. God, is, God does get angry about things that harm others. God does get angry about people who blaspheme His name, but He's not a vindictive God. When you know that God is loving, then you understand why He shows wrath, the same way that you would want a police officer to stop a murderer, the same way that you would want the president, if he knew there was an imminent attack coming upon the United States, to do everything he could to protect us. So when we think about the wrath of God, we need to think about God protecting His people, protecting His children. 
But when you know that God is loving, then it opens your eyes to see God at work in ways that you've never dreamed of before. When you know that God loves you, it gives you the desire to want to please God. There's something about knowing that people love me that I I want to do whatever I can to please them, to serve them, to help them. And when you know that God loves you, it changes your perspective on the whole world. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 18, 8, 17 says, I love all those who love me. Those who search for me will surely find me. And that is something you need to be confident of, that if you love God, you will find God. If you love God, you will seek God and you will search God. If you know that God loves you, then you will love God, according to what Beth Moore shared and And as I've studied that line of thought through the Scripture, I think she's absolutely right. That when you know that God loves you, you'll love God. Now, I know there are people that say, yeah, 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 I know that God loves me. But they put that on the line of everything else, and they cheapen what love is really all about. When you go through a tough time, like we're going through the COVID-19 crisis, when you go through a tough time and your loved one is dying in a hospital, when you go through a tough time and your doctor gives up hope, when you go through a tough time and you lose your job, when you go through a tough time and your, your pay has been cut, then friends, what will get you through is not just sheer willpower and it's not just sheer determination. What will get you through is you know that God loves you and God will pull you through. He will carry you through this time. The Bible says that when we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we're going to live healthy, full lives. As a matter of fact, I have come to believe with all of my heart, now listen carefully, that loving God is at the heart of a person's physical health, mental health, and spiritual health. And I'd like you, excuse me, would you bring me that water? I'd like you to follow along with me here. Because A.W. Tozer, one of my heroes, once said that what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing to us. That what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing to us. You see, God in the Scripture is revealed as wise. He's revealed as compassionate. He's revealed as kind. He's revealed as caring. He's revealed as loving. He's revealed as healing. He was revealed as all-powerful. As a matter of fact, what I'm telling you about the love of God is revealed in the life of Jesus. Once we know that God loves us and that He's patient and forgiving, there's a part of us that we want to repent of our sins. We want to ask Christ to come into our lives and to forgive us of our sins. And when we do that, Jesus Christ transforms us. He changes us. And He makes us into new creations created in His image. And so, friends, I want you to think about that as we go through this message about loving God this morning. And here at Woodland, one of the ways that we love God, and I go through this every month when I teach Discovering Woodland to people who are interested in becoming a part of our churches, we sing to God. We lift our voices and praise to Him. We rejoice in Him. There's something about us gathering together, and it's probably one of the things that I miss most about us being here together. It's listening to everyone sing. And I know, I'm speaking to you, I know that some of you deliberately come in late, and you miss the singing, and you, you come in for the preaching. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, you've told me, number one. And number two, I see it when you start your coming in, even when I've begun the message. But it's important for us to be together as the body of Christ and to sing and make a joyful noise to the Lord. Yesterday, I was talking to my nephew in Atlanta. He graduated from Georgia Tech this week, and so a big shout out to Philip this week for successfully graduating from my second favorite college in Georgia. And he, as a graduate of Georgia Tech, we were talking about his career plans and his future with he and his wife. And we were also got to talking about church. And he said, Uncle Dennis, one of the things that I miss most about being able to gather with our church is the energy and the community that comes as we sing together. There's just something about lifting our voices to the Lord together in praise and worship. As a matter of fact, one of the things that really struck me, and you don't hear as much about it since the coronavirus crisis, but do you remember the protest in Hong Kong when the citizens of Hong Kong were demonstrating against the oppressive regime of the Chinese government and how they were trying to limit their freedom of assembly, their freedom of information? Well, one of the things that happened was 
the, Hong, the Chinese government began persecuting the church. And it was Christians that first began to react to this. And what you did not see reported in the media, but if you go back and listen to those clips real carefully, you will hear peaceful demonstrators in the street. Not the people that were throwing firebombs, not the people that were throwing Molotov cocktails, but you will see where there were peaceful assembly in the streets, and you will hear them singing a song that we used to sing when I was in college back in the early 70s called, Sing Hallelujah to the Lord. Sing Hallelujah to the Lord. Sing He is risen from the dead. Sing He is coming back again. And you can hear those believers, masses of them, as they gather in the streets, and they're worshiping the Lord. You see, there's something about singing that makes us want to stand up and be strong in the power and the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I sing to the Lord, I sense His presence. When I sing to the Lord, there's this there's sense that God is with me. And it's why I think even in the mornings when I wake up, I just begin to sing to the Lord. When I'm out for my prayer walks, I, I sing to the Lord. There's a track that I walk on, and because most of the time I'm out there by myself, and I can sing out there without disturbing anybody, and I just, there's something about just singing to the Lord that makes us aware of the presence of God. Do you know more songs have been written about Jesus Christ than any other topic in the world? More songs have been written about our Savior more songs are written every year about Jesus than any other person in the entire world. And music and love go together. Think back to your dating days if you're married and the songs that you love to listen to. Think about the music that you put together for your wedding. I remember when Becky stepped to the back door of First Assembly of God. And I watched her when those doors had opened up and you know, my, my groomsman, my best man, who's my brother-in-law today, friends of mine, cousins, as I, I was so aware of them being with me until that door opened up. And you know what I was supposed to do? I was supposed to sing to Becky. And I was so excited. I had rehearsed this song. I was prepared for this song. But I still remember seeing her. And friends, I choked up. I was singing, but I could hardly get through the song that day. There's something about music and love and singing. They go together. And so I want to encourage you, as the Scripture says in Psalms 104 and verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. Let's read that verse together, would you? I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing to God to my last breath. It's been my pleasure as a pastor. It's been my joy as a pastor to sing with people as they silently went to meet the Lord. It's been my joy to sing with them, Jesus loves me, this I know. One time, one man asked me to sing with him, Pastor, can we sing when we all get to heaven? And I could barely remember that song, but the lyrics came back to me as I sang it softly at his bedside as he breathed his last breath to the Lord. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. You see, it's sometimes when I least feel like singing that I need to sing the most. It's when your father's dying or it's when your mother is dying or when your wife is dying, or maybe when you've lost your job, or maybe when your heart's been broken, that's when you need to sing to the Lord most of all. So, one of the ways we love God is to sing to God. And I want to encourage you to do that. The second way that we love God is we, we talk to God. We just simply have a conversation with Him. It's what Christians call prayer. And I love my wife, and I love just to sit down and talk with Becky and I love to hear what she's got to say, and I love it when she pays attention to what I have to say. I love to hear from my kids. Whenever they call, it's, it's just always such a joy to, to get to talk to them. This week, <clears throat> I had Skyped with one of my, with my grandsons, and after we had talked for a while, he said, Papa, we got to eat, and both of them dashed off and ended the Skype call, and so I thought it was all over with. In a few minutes, I got another Skype call back, and there they were. He said, Papa, we're finished eating, and they wanted to talk again. It's what we do when we love people. We want to talk together. We want to be with one another's presence. You know, you can talk to God about anything. In Psalms 116, the Bible says 
that God's always listening to us. Think about a teenager. Sometimes when I'm out for a walk or I'm out riding my bike or, you know, I will see students and they've got their AirPods in or their earphones in and they're just having a conversation. In our subdivision, I've noticed you can hear them three and four walking down the sidewalk together. Even though we're supposed to be social distancing, there's something about those kids. They just can't be apart like that. And so they're walking down the sidewalk and they're laughing and they're talking or they're talking to a friend online. When you were dating your wife or dating your husband or your fiance, you, you found yourself constantly on the phone just to talk to each other. Well, that's what prayer is. You can talk to God about the things that make you happy, the things that make you sad. You can talk to God about your hopes, your dreams. You can talk to God about your wishes, your ambitions. You can talk to God about your pain, your disappointments. You can talk to God about the news. You can talk to God about what you wish would happen in the world. You know, I talk to God about politics and politicians. And I talk to God about you as well, because I pray for you each and every day that God would bless your life and strengthen you. And our pastors at 11 o'clock every day, we gather for prayer, and we pray for you in the request that you share with us. You see, God cares about every part of your life. And there's not a part of our four children or our three grandsons of their lives that I'm not deeply interested in and I want to know about. There's not a part of our family's life or our church's life that I'm not interested in, and I want to talk to them about. There's nothing in your life too big or too small that God doesn't want you to talk to Him about it. The Bible says this in Psalms 42 and verse 8. Read along with me. But each day the Lord pours His unfailing love upon me. Circle that. Underline that in your Bible. His unfailing love. God will never stop loving you. And through each night, I sing his songs, praying to God or talking to God who gives me life. Friends, one of the reasons I love God is because God first loved me. As a matter of fact, I would never love God if he hadn't have loved me. Imagine what a world without God would be like. Imagine what a world without the love of God would be like. I can give you kind of a mental picture. I had the privilege a number of years ago of being told that I was the first evangelical preacher to come into a city that in 500 years had not had the gospel of Jesus Christ preached there. I spent a total of three weeks preaching in that city every single day without one break and ministering and going to pray with people. They had never heard about the love of God. They had never heard about Jesus Christ and His sacrificial love for them. And to see the change in people's life and the violence and the poverty and all of the occultism that was there because in that community, in that village, in that town, for 500 years without knowing about the love of God, There was just nothing but darkness. But Jesus came. Jesus, through the gospel, he healed the sick. People were saved. And today there is a thriving church in that community today because there's nothing comparable to the love of God. So when you listen to someone blaspheme God or when you listen to someone say, we have outgrown our need for God, those people are living on the treasures that godly people laid up in building a Western civilization that they enjoy today because of people's faith in God. So friends, my advice to you this morning, God's advice to you is talk to God every single day and rejoice in His unfailing love. But there's another aspect about prayer And it's how we love God. It's listening to God. It's listening to Him. Yesterday, my daughter, just before the prayer service, came to me. And um, she said, Daddy, I need you to listen to me. And at that moment, I just kind of felt a check. I needed to say something to her. It wasn't a rebuke or scold. But before she said anything else, I turned and I looked at her. And I, I took her face in my hands. And I looked at her and I said, Sweetheart, I have always listened to you. When you have wanted to talk to me, I've put down a book or my paper and I've looked you right in the eye because what you have to say matters to your dad. What you have to say matters to me. 
And I want you to know that what you have to say will always matter to me. And what you have to say matters to God as well. And friends, it is so important that we understand loving is listening. Anybody can talk at people. Anybody can talk to people. John Maxwell once said that speakers just want to regurgitate what they have to say. But he said good communicators want you to get it. They want you to listen. I want you to listen this morning to God. I want you to listen to Him through His Word. I want you to listen to Him through this message today. I want you to listen to Him through the experiences that you're having right now. I want you to listen to Him with your, through your friends, your godly friends that love you. You see, God is speaking to us every single day. But the best way I know how to hear God speak is by listening to His Word. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalms 19 and verse 7. God's Word is perfect in every way. If you've got your Bibles open, just circle that word perfect. God's Word is perfect in every way. How it revives our souls. His laws lead us to truth or His instruction, His teaching. His laws lead us to truth. His ways change the simple into the wise. His teachings make us joyful and radiate His light. His precepts are so pure. His commands, how they challenge us to keep close to His heart. And the revelation of His Word makes my spirit shine radiant. You see, God is always speaking. But when I listen to His Word, and it's so interesting to me that the words in the Hebrew there are Torah. The words there for law. It's instruction of the Word of God. You see, God speaks to us to His Word and He teaches us. He transforms us. He makes us radiant. He makes us wise. God gives us the direction that we need in our lives. You see, God even speaks to us through impressions. And sometimes people ask me, have you ever heard God speak in an audible voice? And I can honestly say no. I've never heard God speak in an audible voice. And sometimes people will come to me and say, Pastor, God has given me something they want me to share with you. And I'll always measure that up against the word of the Lord. As a matter of fact, there are people, this might surprise you, it might not surprise you, but I have people almost every single week that are sending me a text message or an email that says, God told me to tell you this. And most of the time, it's just somebody's thoughts. But every once in a while, I'll get an email from somebody that says, Pastor, I was praying for you today. And I've got life experience for that person. I've got witness for that person. I've got... <sighs> things that we've done together. I know this person's heart. And so when they tell me, Pastor, I thought God wanted me to share this with you today or to tell you this today, I really pay attention and I listen because I know they love me and I know they have an interest in my life. I know they want me to succeed in my marriage, in my personal relationship with Christ. They want me to succeed as a, as a pastor. I know that they want what's good for me. And when I know that God wants what's good for me, I can learn to also trust those impressions that he brings to my life. You know, I heard Pastor Rick Warren say one time, he says, you can always distinguish between when God's speaking to you and when the devil is speaking to you. He said, when God is speaking to you, it's inspiration. When the devil's speaking to you, it's temptation. And I thought that was such a catchy way of remembering it. You see, when God speaks to me, it inspires me to holiness. When God speaks to me, it inspires me to sacrifice. When God speaks to me, it inspires me to generosity. It inspires me to love. It inspires me to success. It inspires me to live an overcoming life, a victorious life. But when the devil speaks to me or gives me those impressions, it's always an temptation to be selfish, to be self-centered, to be fearful, to somehow or another live for myself or to sin against God or to sin against my family or the church. And you learn to distinguish those voices in your life. And so I want to encourage you, take time to listen to the Lord. I'm a morning person. Those of you that know me, you know my best time of the day is early in the morning. Sometime around 2 or 3 o'clock, I begin to feel my energy begin to wane. By 8.30 at every night, I am ready for bed. You know, it's just 
it's just my body chemistry is how I'm wired. But one of my really good friends in Georgia, we were talking about this one day. He's a pastor in Columbus, Georgia. Dennis Lacey was telling me we were at his house. He was living in Atlanta at the time. And he was telling me, he says, my best time to listen to God and to read the Bible is at night because he was a night person. He was a night owl. And so there are different body types and there are different body chemistries. It's not that the morning is more sacred or the evening is more sacred. It's just making time to listen to God. Just like in a good marriage, you make time to listen to one another. So I want to ask you this question this morning. How often do you take time to listen to God? How often do you just stop what you're doing and pick up your Bible and read your Bible? How often do you take just a few moments and say, Lord, talk to me? And that's something that you need to discipline yourself to do. You know, every single day, I call Becky. Every single, I just want to hear her voice. It's nothing really important. I just want to call to say I love you. Every single day, I want to talk to my children because I love them. It doesn't have to be long. I just want to hear their voices. And it's important that we make time. And so, I'd like to challenge you to do something this week because if you're not accustomed to this, you need to schedule it. And if you don't schedule it, it's not going to happen. But why don't you just schedule every single day this week some time where you're going to stop and you're going to listen to God and just put it on your calendar. If it's just 15 minutes or 10 minutes or 5 minutes where you read your Bible, if you need some help with that, if you'll send me a text message or if you'll email me, I'll be more than happy to, to send you some helps of how to begin to read your Bible and to listen to God's Word. And you can email me at office at woodland.church, and I'll respond to you right away with that. Maybe for some of you, you might need to just do what I do sometime. And I, I just do this periodically because it's a good spiritual discipline for me. I set a timer on my watch to go off every 59 minutes. And all day long during my waking hours, I stop for one minute. So that's generally a total of about 14, 16 minutes during the day outside of my devotions. I will just stop for one minute and I'll lean back in my chair or I'll just think while I'm driving or while I'm walking, whatever I happen to be doing, and I'll just say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Because I want to hear his voice. And sometimes a thought will bubble up and sometimes it's just a minute of silence. And in my life, that can be kind of rare sometimes. But schedule some time that you would like to listen to the Lord. But if you love God, the Bible says, how can you love God unless you love people? I mean, how can you love God if you can't love people that you can see and we can't see God? And so loving God means that we love people. Loving God means we care about people. For most of my adult years, I've heard this expression, you know, you need to think about the end of your life and what you want people to say at your funeral. I heard that as a teenager. I heard that in college. Then Stephen Covey made it very popular in his book about living a successful life. And, you know, it's true. Sometimes I'll walk through a cemetery after I've finished a funeral and I will read what are written on the headstones at some of the graves. And it's always revealing to me some of the things that are said there. But if I, at the end of my life, I've, I already have written out what I hope is put on my tombstone. But at the end of my life, if my life can be summed up that I loved God, I loved my family, I loved the church, I loved my neighbor, and I loved my community, then my life will be successful. If that can be honestly said, if people can honestly say that at my funeral, we know he loved us. We know he cared about us. We know he loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. As A.W. Tozer said, then you know the health of my life. And if I can say that about you, I know the health of your life. In a few minutes, I'm going to be preaching the funeral of a man that I loved very much. I've been his pastor for 20 years, over 20 years. And I can honestly say that he loved God and he loved people. And I can remember, and I'm here in the sanctuary this morning, I can remember when he would come walking down this aisle. He'd always sit on the pew right behind me. And when I would see him, he would put his arms out and he'd grab me and he'd hug me. I never knew him as a young man. I mean, he's 95 and so I knew him in his 70s, but 
I never knew him as a young man, but I've been looking at photographs of him as a young, handsome man, of his wife as a young, beautiful woman, and seeing their love for each other. But I miss those hugs. I miss those embraces. I miss the fact that every time we saw each other, he wanted to sing a song. I'm going to miss that. But I can tell you, I know this. He loved God. He loved his wife. He loved his family. He loved his church. And he loved his neighbors. And friends, if that can be said about you, then you are on your way to loving God. John Perkins has been an influence in my life. John Perkins is a civil rights leader, a follower of Jesus Christ. John grew up in rural Mississippi. And John grew up with a bitter hatred against white people, especially poor white people. Because he said poor white people would just, you know, insist that they walk on the other side of the streets when he was a younger man. And how that they were oppressive and they were mean. And as I read some of John's writings and his books through the years, it's brought conviction to my heart. But one of the things that happened to John as he got older was he realized that those poor white people were being just as oppressed as he was. And he said, I never gave a second thought to their condition until one day when I was serving with our church and we were giving food to the hungry. And he said, those poor white people were coming to our church to get food. And he says, they looked so filled with shame rather than gratitude. It was it looked almost like if they felt like they were stealing from us. And he says, when I realized how I had never really forgiven them for the way they treated me as a boy, it changed his life and it changed his heart. And he says, now what I want to do more than anything else is to advocate for them just like I advocate for anyone else. And it took me back to a time when a young man that I was responsible for got very sick and I couldn't get a hold of his parents. And they were from a very rural part of the South, a very poor family. And I had to rush him to the hospital. And after repeated attempts to get him help, we had to transfer him to another city. And so I went in the ambulance with him to the next city. And there the doctor said, if we don't operate, we, we're not going to be able to save his life, and he's going to die tonight. And I'll never forget when I finally I got the legal permission to, to, to have the surgery, to authorize the surgery. The surgeon that came in was a Christian, and he was a black man. And he walked over to that young boy, and that young boy screamed out at me. I don't even want to say what he said, but he's not touching me. And I apologized to the surgeon, and I looked at the boy, and I said, if he doesn't operate on you, and I say a boy who was a teenager, I said, if he doesn't operate on you, you're going to die. And he started to cry, and he just began to say these horrible things. And the doctor looked at him, and he said, son, I forgive you. I forgive you. God loves you. And that boy began to cry, and I began to cry. And I realized that what at risk there was not his life, it was his eternity because of the hatred that somebody had taught him. And here he was in a church youth camp. Here he was at a Christian camp singing songs. And friend, I want to tell you, if you don't believe that Jesus loves the children, red, yellow, and black, and white, you don't love God. Because you cannot love God until you can love the people that you see as well. And that's the difference that God makes in our heart. And that's what John Perkins was trying to get at in his wonderful book. And he said, the one thing I know that I would change if I had the chance to do it all over again, I would do more to help poor white people. Friends, I want to do more to help people of every race, color, creed, religion, whatever it is. I want to love people to the best of my ability. That's why our mission statement at Woodland Church is we celebrate God's love. We celebrate God's love by persuading people through our lives, through our witness, through our relationships, through our testimony, through our ministries, through our jobs, through our bridge building events, we do everything we can to celebrate God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And you want to know what? When you see Jesus, you see God. 
When you read about Jesus in the Gospels, you see just exactly what God is like. He's the Savior of every human being that puts their faith in Him. Read with me in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17. If someone has worldly possessions and sees his brothers in need and yet closes his heart against him, how can he be loving God? How can he be loving God? A study was recently done by Cambridge psychiatrist, Dr. Richard Schwartz. And Dr. Schwartz says that the problem that's affecting people, most of all, their health in the Western world today is loneliness. And as I thought about that statement of loneliness and how he said it was affecting people, he said, we can now admit we're depressed. We can now admit many of our other needs, but nobody wants to say, I'm lonely. Because to say you're lonely means you're the teenager in the high school cafeteria that's eating by themselves at the table. Nobody wants to be that teenager. But God says to you this morning, you don't have to be lonely. That's what the church is all about. That's what our small groups are all about. And that's why Christians should be the best neighbors of all. Not to those, just those who have plenty, but to those that need our love, need our time, need our relationships, and need our resources. Jesus said in Matthew 22 and verse 39, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So in light of all of this, I just want to ask you this morning, are you a passionate follower of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you if you're a church member. I'm not asking you if you're Baptist or Roman Catholic or Methodist or any other denomination. I'm asking you, are you a passionate follower of Jesus Christ? Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? Somebody asked me one time, what do you mean commit your life to Christ? Well, that's real easy for me to answer. When I married Becky, I committed my life exclusively to Becky. I didn't say, you know what, I'm going to be married to you 11 months out of the year. I didn't say I'm going to be married to you for 364 days a year. I can tell you that if I wasn't faithful 365 days a year, I wouldn't live to tell you about it the next day. Because when I committed my life to Becky, I said, I'm exclusively yours. And she said she was exclusively mine. When I look at this wedding band on my hand, this one's mine and this one was my father's. When I look at this wedding band on my hand, I'm reminded that I'm exclusively Becky's and that she's exclusively mine. I'm reminded that my father was exclusively my mother's and my mother was exclusively hers. We were committed to one another. I committed to my children and when Becky and I committed to adopting our children, we never looked back. We never looked, no matter what it cost us in our time and our resources. I can remember when our two boys, our two oldest boys were little, we had to lay aside $50 a week just for formula and diapers to take care of those two guys. But we never complained. We were grateful to do so. I, I started a business on the side to be able to support and to do what we wanted to do for them. You see, when you love someone, you commit to them. You love your house, you committed to a mortgage payment for it. Most of you, you loved your car, you committed to a, a car payment for it. When you commit to Christ, you're giving yourself exclusively to Him. And as A.W. Tozer said, that my health can be noted by how much I love God. Your relationships your career, your personal well-being, everything about you will be better because you love God. You see, when Jesus gave his life at the cross, and I wish you could see our big, beautiful cross over here to my left. When Jesus gave his life for you at the cross, he bought you back. That means he redeemed you. That's what redeemed means. He, bought, he paid a debt that you and I owed, a debt of sin. He paid for your salvation. He paid for the forgiveness of your sins. He paid for your healing. He paid for your peace, your joy, your happiness. He paid for your future. He's guaranteed a place for you in His Father's house forever and ever in heaven. You see, when Jesus bought your freedom, He gave you the power to be changed. The Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in your life. And that's the reason that God says in His Word, look at this with me in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, 
ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. In other words, God doesn't want you to move to a monastery. God doesn't want you to move to a convent. God wants you to take your ordinary sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. When you embrace what God has done for you in Christ, when you ask Jesus to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins, when you commit your life to Christ, that's the very best thing you can do for God. And God makes you a brand new person and a brand new creation. So I'm asking you today, not only commit your life to Christ, commit your marriage to Christ, commit your children to Christ, commit your grandchildren to Christ, commit your vocation or your career, commit everything about yourself to Him. Allstate used to have an insurance ad that said, you're in good hands with Allstate. Friends, I'm telling you, you're in the best hands of all when you give your heart and you give your life to Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of you out there listening to me. You know that. There's some of you out there that you used to have mental health issues, and God healed you of that. There's some of you out there, you had no purpose in life, and God gave you a purpose in life. There's some of you out there, your career was in the tank, and then you gave your heart to Christ, and maybe you didn't keep that job, but God gave you a better job, and God caused you to prosper. Just a few weeks ago or a few months ago, I took Becky to a little small town in western Michigan, and there we went to a, a British tea restaurant, and after we had had tea together and some desserts together, we walked across the street, and I found a used book, and I purchased the book at the bookstore, and I read about that little town that we'd been to. And the story behind that town was of one man who gave his heart to Jesus Christ, and when he gave his heart to Jesus Christ, he gave everything he had to God. And God gave him a vision of what it meant to commit not only his life, but his family, his career, his farm, everything to the Lord. And out of that commitment to Christ, such a wonderful experience happened that built a company, built a city, bought the attention of Henry Ford, an investment in the town out of one man's learning to commit his life to Christ and everything he had to Christ. And so I want to close this message by saying to you as well, when you commit to life, when you give your life to Christ and you want to love God, then the way you show you love God is by learning to be a giver, is learning to give to God. Give to God of your time, give to God of your talent, give to God of your treasure. You live a generous lifestyle. Look with me, if you would, at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. Since you excel, and circle that word, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, in your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. And I don't know if the Scripture's still up, and you can see me or not, but just, that's okay, you can leave the Scripture up, but just think about this with me. We excel in the United States. We have gifted speakers and gifted churches. We have gifted universities. We're enthusiastic about our sports. We're enthusiastic about our nation here. We're enthusiastic about our, our parks and our resources there's just so much that we have to be blessed with in America. But friends, we also need to excel. If you'll go on reading with me, I want you also to excel in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You see, God wants us to excel and this gracious act of giving of our time and our talent and our treasure. When you love someone, you give to them. When you love someone, you, you give them your time. You give them gifts. You give them your treasure. This week, somebody sent me a message, and just because they loved me, they sent me a gift. And I was so blessed by that. One day, our doorbell rang, and the UPS man left a gift there for my wife because somebody loved my wife and sent her a gift. It, was a very, it wasn't much. It was just a, a very thoughtful gift. But what was behind it was what it meant of their time and their expression and their love. 
You know, I, next week is Mother's Day, guys. Don't forget about it. I've been watching every day to see when Amazon is going to deliver my wife's Mother's Day gift that I bought for her because I love her and I want it here on time and I want it ready for her and prepared. And she's going to love it, by the way. It's a pretty, pretty cool gift. But you see, giving represents our hearts. Giving represents our life. Giving represents everything about us. And there are two types of givers. There are cheerful givers, and the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. What makes a cheerful giver? Because that person know God knows that God is going to take care of them. That person knows the more they give, the more blessed they are. That person knows that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, as Jesus says. That person who gives has experienced what many of us know, that if you put God first in your time and in your finances and in your talent, then God will more than pour into your life everything that you've given. But then there are fearful givers. And those are the people that have this scarcity mentality. They're the people that buy every roll of toilet paper on the grocery shelves. They're the, roll of, they're the people that buy every roll of paper towels. And I have to tell you, I have been ashamed of the way some people have shopped and just hoarded stuff. <clears throat> there was a story about a group of men who went in one state and bought all of the hand sanitizer and then tried to mark it up a hundred times and sell it to people trying to profit off their fear. That's what fearful people do. They're always trying to profit off of other people's loss, so they're always worried that they're not going to have enough. And so they never learn the joy of giving. I've had kids talk to me so many times and tell me how their parents wouldn't do this or their parents wouldn't do that. And sometimes those kids have had really genuine grief brought in their hearts because the basic necessities of life for their kids have not been as important as alcohol or tobacco or drugs. The basic necessities of life have not been more important to them than a living boyfriend or a living girlfriend. I picked up those kids. I've gotten them places to stay. So as you look in these eyes this morning, understand I know what I'm talking about here. You see, when you love, you give. When you love, you're generous. And when you love, you don't count the cost. You know that when you express your love, you give. And if God could give His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I could be saved from our sins, then how much more should it motivate you and I to be generous with God with everything that we have? You know, it's not about trying to protect myself. It's about knowing that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want for anything. God's going to provide, and God's going to take care. Friend, if you know, as Beth Moore says, that God loves you, then you can respond to the love of God. And if you know that God cares about you, and that God has your best in mind for your whole future, if you're fully persuaded of that, then you will find yourself loving God with everything you have, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You'll find yourself singing to the Lord. You'll find yourself talking to the Lord. You'll find yourself wanting to listen to God. You'll find yourself wanting to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you'll find yourself, instead of being a taker, being a giver. And at the end of your life, people will say about you as I'm going to say about Papa Augustine in just a few minutes. He loved God, and I know this because he loved his wife. He loved his children. He loved his grandchildren. He loved his church. He loved his pastor. He loved his neighbor. He loved his community. I'm asking you this morning, would you commit your life to Christ with me? And would you pray this prayer with me? Would you just bow your heads and Close your eyes and let me pray with you right now. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that I have this full confidence that, God, you are a gracious God. You are a God of love. You are a loving God. You are patient. Lord, in everything you do, you have done it for our good. And I am so sorry for my sins. I'm so sorry for having turned my back upon you. I'm not well, Lord. 
Sin is destroying my life. Sin is destroying my soul. It's robbing me of my joy. It's robbing me of my future. And I ask you today to forgive me and to send your Holy Spirit to live inside of me. I don't understand it all, but as much as I know how, I commit my life to you today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And would you just take a moment right now and would you tell God that you love him? Would you tell God that you were so thankful that he sent Jesus to save you? And maybe would you just take a few moments today and would you put it on your calendar? Maybe just start with a minute every hour or five minutes a day where you're going to stop and you're going to pick up your Bible and you're going to listen to God. You're going to just read. If you need help, remember, email me at office at woodland.church and I will send you some ways to get started reading your Bible. Would you make a commitment today that if you're going to love God, then maybe just think of some way you could express love to your neighbor today. You know, maybe you just pick up a bedding plant for them to put in their flower bed and just take it over and say, thanks for being my neighbor. Thanks for being my friend. Maybe you could just think of some way today that you could express to your wife and to your children that you love them. Because as you love them, you're loving God. And if you've never prayed before, why don't you take this time right after this message this morning? I mean, you just talk to him by committing your life to Jesus. Why don't you take this time just to talk to God and say, Lord, how do I begin? And after you talk to God about that, if you'll also send me an email about that, I'll send you some of the best helps you'll ever get in your life, and it won't cost you a thing because people at this church give to provide it for you. I'll send you, I'll send you a Bible. I'll send you resources that will help you learn how to know and to love God. And then I've got one other suggestion for you. Why don't you, if you've never given before, or if you're not a tither, why don't you give today? You know, why don't you just go online to woodland.church, click that line that says give, and, and you can give right there online. If you've got a cell phone, you can text 77977 to Woodland Church. That's just one word, no space, Woodland Church. And you can give. If you're a tither, why don't you give to our benevolence fund to help us? Yesterday, we were giving away groceries again from our church to help people who need food. There was a lady who came through, and, and my wife and the ladies who were helping asked, is there any way we can help you? And she says, no, but I'm on my way to purchase some groceries for a neighbor that's in need. And so our church was able to contribute again there. Or maybe you have a heart for missions, and you could click that line that says missions. Or you have a heart for students, and you could click the line that says elevation. But why don't you just do a deliberate act of giving today. Do something to act upon this message right now because I promise you, Jesus said the birds of the air will try to steal the seed as it's sown into your heart. You're going to get busy. You've got things to do just like I have to do today and the enemy will try to steal from you those impressions. Remember, we talked about that a few moments ago. If you feel inspired to do something, now is the time to do that. While, and act upon it while God is touching your heart and excel in this act of being like your heavenly father in this act of giving and praying and listening and talking. And friends, I hope you know that more than anything else, Becky and I love you. The pastors of this church love you. The guys that are here helping this morning like Wayne are, that are here, they love you. They love God. That's why they're here this morning. So why don't you send them a text message or an email and just say thank you for making these live streams possible for us. I love you so much. God bless you.